0: Well, today we are honored to have a special guest who actually had the uh, privilege of welcoming a special guest of his own at a recent event that he was at last week. Uh, it was an event where he was able to welcome to the stage Amy Grant. And when he asked Amy uh, what, what would be the best way to introduce you to the audience, uh, she asked, just tell them a girl from Tennessee uh, and so our guest, Dave Stone, he, uh, he uh, stood up and he said, hey, I just want to welcome to the stage a girl from Tennessee who happens to have six Grammy Awards and 22 Dove Awards uh, as a well-known musician. And talking with Dave about how we could best introduce him, I think he would prefer, I just said, ah, just a guy from Kentucky, But he happens to be just a guy from Kentucky who's from Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, that over its 60 years in existence, uh, it has grown to 28,000 in regular attendance, of which he's had 30 years as part of the pastoral staff there, uh, in a unique position in that he followed the founding pastor and has since handed off the baton to his successor, and so has a unique perspective given the journey of where our church is at. And as, you know, um, interesting as those Statistics might be in church life. Uh, the reason that I'm thankful and excited to have Dave with us is because uh, from afar, I watched as Southeast, and Dave in particular, never let church attendance get ahead of his pastoral commitment to people, of which uh, I am a personal recipient. You see, my wife Jessica, she grew up at Southeast Christian Church under Dave Stone's ministry where she came to faith, where she was baptized, and then her parents and family followed, and now they're growing and serving in all kinds of ways in the life of that church, of which now that legacy continues as Dave and Beth continue to care for and pastor both Jessica and me. And even beyond that, recognizing that in my in-laws, and in my wife, I have in my own children, our children, Cole, Camden, Case, and and Callan, a legacy of faith that's in their mom, that's in their grandma and grandpa, uh, to which I will be thus eternally grateful for the ministry of Southeast Christian Church and in particular, personally, Dave Stone. And so with that, would you welcome my friend, Pastor Dave Stone, to our pulpit. Appreciate it,
1: buddy.
0: Thanks
1: so much. Thank you. Well, it is great to be here. I've got to be here for the past few days. I actually was at uh, the DHF uh, conference that was held that you all hosted. And uh, so I, I've got to be here for several days. And first of all, welcome, welcome to those in the East Auditorium. I've heard I look better from a distance, so <laughs> lucky you. And those watching online, we're thankful that you're a part of this as well. And thank you for each one of you who, who are right right here with me. And uh, I've been looking forward to this day for a long time, and uh, got a little taste of heaven today with that, that song where we got to sing uh, with, with the Polish Christians, and it does look, help us to look forward to what God's got for us in, in, in the future. Uh, last week, Brian did a great job of kicking off this series in this book of, of Proverbs, and, and Proverbs is a template for, for wisdom, and that's why we, we called this series the The Art of Living Wisely. Uh, but I, I had to question to the guys, you know, why why you are asking me to to preach in a wisdom series? Usually when you think of somebody from Kentucky, you don't think of wisdom, right? Uh, I mean, let's be honest. So, uh, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are looking to see if I'm wearing shoes. I, I, I realize that. It's all good. Uh, but I think back about 17 years ago, my My oldest daughter, Savannah, was a babysitting machine, and she just saved all of her money for a number of years, and uh, it came time for her to buy a car, and she found a 1995 Volvo on eBay, and it had 80,000 miles, and it was only $5,000, and, you know, now it's $5,000 to fill your gas tank, Uh, but uh, I said, well, let me check into it. You know, I'm not certain I feel comfortable because it was way down in Florida, so I called a buddy of mine who lived not far from there who likes cars. I said, hey, will you mind going over and just check it out and, and see what you think about this car? He called me the next day, and he said, hey, if you guys don't buy it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy the car. So I said, Savannah, you want to use your savings and, and buy it? She said, yeah, I'm, I'm in. So I got a one-way trip, on uh, a flight down to Florida, and before I left my home, I was planning out my 1,100-mile drive coming back, right? And so I had about 10 CDs of classic rock and roll, and I couldn't wait to hear those. I had about 10 CDs of different, different pastors who were my favorite preachers. I was going to listen to them. So I had it all planned out. It was going to be a rock and roll revival, okay? Okay. <laughs> So I got in the car, I started driving back from, from Florida, and after a few miles, I, I, I stopped and I called my, my daughter. I said, hey, I said, babe, didn't, didn't you say that, that that car had a CD player in it? And she said, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I said, well, you know, I said, I know you got a great deal on it, but I, I hate to tell you, but it, it doesn't have a, a CD player. And she said, oh, that's okay. And I said, no, no, it's not. <laughs> Because I had over 1,000 miles still, still to go, and so I drove that whole way listening to out-of-range 5,000-watt country stations, and I somehow survived that long, lonely solo drive. And when I, I got to the house, my daughter just wanted to take the car out for a spin. I know she was so excited, so she said, I'm going to go get some gas and put it in the car, and I think that was the last time she actually bought gas for it, but... Uh, she, she drove, and, and while she's at the gas station, she called me up, and she said, Dad, do you hear that noise? And I thought, oh, no, it's got a lurching transmission, or it's got a pinging noise or something. She said, you hear that noise? And, and it was music playing. And she said, Dad, it's, it's got a CD player. I said, oh, no, 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 it doesn't. She said, yeah, I put a CD in. It does. She said, there's a fake panel. All you have to do is push the button, and the panel retracts. I said, what button? She said, the one that says CD. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know why I'm speaking on wisdom, all right? Uh, But I'm telling you what, for a day and a half, I had driven through Georgia. I'd driven through Tennessee. I'd driven through Kentucky. I'd listened to bits and pieces of of country songs like, Mama, get the hammer, there's a fly on Daddy's forehead. Uh, (laughs) Listen to all those things, but uh, it, was, it was all worth it to get to bring that home to her. Now, when you think about wisdom, we, we live in a world that desperately wants knowledge, but not always wisdom. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, we, we can learn knowledge, but only if we choose to put it into practice does it become wisdom. Knowledge is learned, wisdom is lived. You can hear a great lecture in your college class. You can be inspired by a powerful lesson or sermon. But if you don't apply what you've learned, then it's merely information and it's not truly wisdom. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said back in the 1800s, he was a preacher back then, he said, to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. And if we try to update those thoughts from the 21st century to today, we might say, if you want knowledge, ask Siri. But if, if you want wisdom... Ask of God, because God gives it freely, and God gives it generously. And an Ongoing, constant prayer in, in my life has been James chapter 1, verse 5, uh, just asking God for wisdom. James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So keep asking, because God promises that he, he will give you wisdom, and so that's a continual prayer. And he will be generous in that gift. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, talks about how not only can we get wisdom from from God, but we can also get wisdom from from others. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. And that word that's used there for isolate, what it really literally means, it means to pull apart. It means to separate. And so isolation is the enemy of wisdom. Wisdom. Isolation invites pride. It em- embraces sin. Sometimes in a sermon, I'll, I'll say this phrase. I'll say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And that's important for all of us, whether you're, you're a teenager, whether, whether you're older, because we, we have to make certain that we're continuing to put ourselves in settings and with people and in God's word where we can learn his wisdom and the problem arises when we think we don't need his wisdom. Now, back on Friday, you guys started really digging into this book of Proverbs, and you've been asked to read Proverbs chapter 3 uh, throughout this week, and you're going to find the Proverbs 3, if you haven't read it yet, is filled with rich information and wisdom. And today, what I want to talk with you about is I want to I talk about how you can chart your path for the future. And I want to talk to First Christian about charting her path. For, for the future here within this church. And there's three steps I'm gonna talk about. Here's step number one. Charting a path requires trusting. You probably came across a, a passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter three that, that maybe rang a bell with you, and it sounds familiar. Uh, Jessica Talti was telling me that, that Proverbs three, five and six, is her, her favorite verse. It's, it's her life verse, her life passage. And she said she kind of landed on that and picked that when she was 16 years old. You might know it. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn to Proverbs 3. If you, you don't have your Bible, pull out your $1,000 Bible and, and, and look in there, and you can find it, all right? Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And when it says that word trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart, it leaves no stone unturned. The Hebrew word here for trust can mean confident. But here's what's interesting. It can also mean careless. And so you say, well, that's, that's a little strange. It seems like they're competing against each other. Well, not really. If your trust is so strong and your faith is so secure, then you're willing to take bigger risks. And what might look careless to everyone else really is a confidence that you have in the Lord. It's kind of like when the Bible says, God loves a cheerful giver. That word for cheerful is where we get our word hilarious in the English language. And it comes from the word hilarious. So God loves a hilarious giver. Well, what does that mean? It's it's ridiculous. It's it's ridiculously generous. So what's happening there is the exact same thing. There is a confidence that, okay, Lord, I trust you. But there is also uh, this carelessness of of, of saying, Lord, I'm going out on a limb of faith here, and you're going to have to be the one that, that provides and makes up the difference. And so we, we trust in the Lord, and we don't lean on our understanding. We, we lean on his understanding, because he's going to make our paths straight. And what that means is it really is another reference for the word freedom. And throughout this message, what I, I want to do is I, I want to talk some about the transition of leadership that, that you all have taking place in the next couple of months here at First Christian. And as Brian referred to, I, I, I do have a unique perspective uh, because of the fact that i worked for 17 years with a guy who had been at the church for 40 years, and it was handed over to me, and then I served as a lead pastor for 13 years, and then I handed it over to someone else. And so I, I can actually say to you that I, I know how Brian feels, and the anticipation, and the anxiety, and I know how Wayne feels, and some of that same anxiety, and and just some of that concern for, okay, what's, what's next, and how's God gonna work in this church? So charting a path requires trusting, but the second step is it also demands planning. Uh, charting a path requires planning. When something is so important in the life of the church, you can't just say, well, you know what, we'll wing it. Or, or God is always taking care of us. No need to plan for it. I'm sure, I'm sure he will on this as well. And some pastors use the Holy Spirit as an excuse for their lack of sermon preparation. And they take pride in saying, you know what, when Sunday morning comes, I'm just gonna kind of let the Spirit lead me. And I, I wanna say, you do know that the Spirit can work ahead of time too, Right? <laughs> And so what we want to do is we want to make certain that that we have a plan, that we have the trust that that God wants of us. If you look back in Proverbs chapter 3, look at verses 21 through 26. It says, "'My child, don't lose sight of good planning and insight. Hang on to them, for they fill you with life and bring honor and respect. They keep you safe on your way and keep your feet from stumbling. You can lie down without fear and enjoy pleasant dreams.'" You need not be afraid of disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked, for the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. You've probably heard the phrase, those who fail to plan, plan to fail, right? Well, Wayne and Brian and the elders have been prayerfully planning for the, for the past couple of years, and even prior to that, they, they brought in some outside folks who were who a big help in, in helping to kind of chart what a step-by-step process might look to ensure a healthy transition of leadership. And even the smoothest passing of the baton is always accompanied with challenges and uncertainty. But I'm thankful that that these godly leaders have, have been planning ahead because they, they love this church. Now, how many of you uh, have ever heard the name John Maxwell? Put your hand up if you've ever heard John Maxwell, read any of his stuff. He, he's a pastor who became a leadership guru, and he's got some great books out. My favorite one is 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, and in it, Maxwell writes, achievement comes to someone when he is able to do great things for himself. Success comes when he empowers followers to do great things with him. Significance comes when he develops leaders to do great things for him. But significance or but legacy is created only when a person puts his organization into the position to do great things without him. And that's what that's what Pastor Wayne has done. He's put this church in a situation to do great things without him. By the way, he has poured into your lives for all of these years, for twenty-eight years. And it's been preparation. And each one of us should be maturing in our walk with Christ. You know, even back in the Old Testament, King David created a legacy by putting his nation into the position of continuing greatness without him. And he helped to chart their path for the future. And David was able to appoint his successor. It was Solomon who, who wrote uh, most of the Proverbs. And then David graciously stepped aside and let him lead. And that's not always easy for people to do. Uh, sometimes it's tough for someone to, to be able to let go. And it, it, it takes a special person uh, to be able to hand things off. And it also takes a very special successor to trust and accept the plan and the timetable. You know, we struggle with both of those areas when we find things are out of our control or when we, we can't control our own timetable. Have you ever noticed that? I heard about a, a friend of mine was telling me he was in the Fort Myers airport, and at that time there were storms and there were all sorts of things going on with the weather, and so they had to cancel a whole lot of, of flights. And so you've been in airports at times when it's like that, and the place was packed with frustrated people, and they had all these canceled flights, and people were having to be rebooked on different flights, and, and sure enough, there was one long line uh, with a, a, a an efficient Delta agent that was at the front, and she was just there trying to slowly work through each person and, and give them the care they need and switch their flights. But after that line had been there for a while, there was a guy from the back. He just kind of came storming up to the front, and he stood there right next to the counter. And he just kind of glared at the woman. And finally, she glanced up, and, and he said, uh, I need you to change my flight, and I need you to do it right now. And she said, well, sir, I'm, I'm taking care of this customer right now, and I'll get to you as, in a timely fashion as fast as I possibly can if you'll just go back and take your place in the line. And the man said, do you know who I am? And then he said it in a voice loud enough for the entire concourse to hear. Do you know who I am? And the woman didn't bat an eye. She just grabbed her intercom and said, ladies and gentlemen, evidently we have someone here who does not know who he is, If you have lost an adult with identity issues, he can be retrieved here at the ticket counter. She put the intercom back, everybody in line burst into applause, and the guy stormed off real mad. We don't like it when somebody else has control of the timetable, and we don't. And pride and power are never a good combination, and that's especially true when there's a transition between leaders. And I commend both Wayne and Brian for trusting the unfolding of this plan and timetable. Uh, I know of a pastor in his 80s that continues to minister and pastor a large church, but the ministry has been so built around him that everyone is so worried that the church will waste away when he dies or when he finally chooses to leave. He's more intent on holding on for himself than he is letting go for the benefit of his church. And all the while, the church continues to get older and, and, the, and the younger families seem to evaporate. You know, it can be intimidating to follow someone who has served faithfully for decades and has grown a small church into a large church who humbly gives a credit to the Lord and, and to other staff members. And, and this might sound strange, but in some ways, it, it's easier for a successor to follow a loser than it is a winner because the bar is set really low. But praise the Lord, you've got two winners. And praise the Lord for, for the future of this church that's gonna be built upon the foundation uh, that Wayne has poured into this church for the past 28 years. And rest assured that Brian has, has already discovered the lesson which took me uh, a while to learn. So he's ahead of the game. And that's, that is this. Brian's job is, is not to be Wayne Kent. Brian's job is to be Brian Talty. To be the person that God has gifted him to be. To be the person that God has made him to be. And the same is true for you. You know, in God's word in Psalm 139, we read that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, you are the only one who can be you and get it right. God, God broke the mold after he made you. You are an original and Satan can fill your mind with feelings of inadequacy and jealousy and fear if you let him. So understand in your own life that you don't need to get wrapped up in comparisons because the only person you want to compare yourself to is, is to Jesus Christ. And you want to look more like Jesus this week than you did last week. And as you fall more deeply in love with him, what, what will begin to grow in, in, in your heart is that of holiness And and love for others, and you'll start to take on some of those those characteristics. You know, the leadership of first Christian, they they care deeply about this church. They care about you. And that's why they have been involved in this transition process behind the scenes and and are excited for what this healthy transition can mean for, for this church. And I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. It's one of my favorite passages. Jesus says, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Some translations say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we want to do our best when it comes to honoring the church, honoring the bride of Christ. And I've been acquainted with, with First Christian for some time now. I first met uh, Wayne and, and Leslie a few years ago at, at an event for... Uh, for, for large churches, for pastors of large churches, I started to say for large pastors that's a that's a different conference. Uh, but, uh, that's the first time when, when I when I met them and I've known Jessica since she was very young and then she introduced me to Brian, was so excited to meet me uh, for me to get to meet Brian and just to see how God has worked in, in these four. Um, I love the fact that this church is not built on pastors or on personalities, but the foundation is Jesus Christ. And it's kind of fitting uh, that we sang "Cornerstone" that song today because Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone uh, of this church. You know, I went to I went to to dinner with with these four Brian and Jess and uh, with Wayne and Leslie last night and. Uh, it's just it's really cool to see the four of them together. And it's neat to see that their relationship and their love for one another is genuine and that, that they have this desire to just be used by God. They don't know exactly what all of this means and exactly how God might might be working through all this, but it's just gonna be cool to see how, how God continues to work in, in Wayne's life and ministry. And uh, I, I know that the same's gonna take place with Brian. And so I want, I want these ladies to know as well that they play a really pivotal part in this transition. And I just love the fact that they're one another's cheerleaders. You know, we were praying for dinner last night. You all didn't know I noticed it. But to see them reach over and hold hands during a simple prayer just gives you a little glimpse into their relationship. And that's how it is also with, uh, with Brian and Wayne. They didn't hold hands. Uh, but, you know, somebody told me the other day, said, uh, I, I, I'd, I'd rather hear Wayne preach than eat. And I said, me too, I've heard him eat. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, I had to say that for me, because I was getting choked up. But it's going to be great to see how God works through all of this. And as you continue to develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ by growing and serving together. And I think it's awesome that you guys keep your mission right there in, in, in front of you. Now, there'll be some challenges. It's always tough for people whenever there's change. I remember just after I'd been announced that I was going to be the successor at, at, at my church there. My wife was in the ladies' restroom And she was, while she was in there, she overheard two elderly ladies that were talking at the sink. And evidently, one of them was looking through the church bulletin for that day. And one of them, the other one said, who's preaching today? Is it Brother Bob? And the other lady looked at the bulletin and said, oh, no, it's the other boy. (laughs) That was me. All right. (laughs) And so my wife was so excited to tell me that, you know, and (laughs) She, she laughed, we both laughed. She laughed a lot harder than I did. Uh, <laughs> but I shared that in a sermon with our church, and, and you have to be willing to laugh at yourself. In the next few months, everywhere I'd be, if I'd be in a restaurant, people would say, look, there's the other boy, you know? So, ha, uh-huh. ha, it was really funny the first time, but uh, <laughs> they kept pouring it on. But Brian, you're gonna hear things like that, and you're gonna hear people say, well, Brian's too young. Or he doesn't have the experience. But just remember the exact same things were said about Wayne when he came to First Christian when he was 35. And don't expect a man who just turned 40 to have the wisdom and the experience of a man in his 60s. That's not realistic, it's not a realistic expectation. But also, it isn't fair to think that a 63 year old man should have the energy of a 40 year old. It's just how it works. There are different things and challenges and different seasons of life. And the the single greatest way to affect the average age of a congregation is by the age of the person in the pulpit. So the church must be constantly changing and adapting in order to reach the next generation. Uh, I I told you I'm from Kentucky. Uh, That's the headquarters of KFC, right where I live in, in Louisville. Now, some of you will remember that back... 25, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was always referred to as Kentucky Fried Chicken. You remember that? That's what we always grew up with, Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, and, and we didn't get to eat out a whole lot. We didn't have a whole lot of money back then. We, we were so poor, we used to go down to Kentucky Fried Chicken and lick other people's fingers. Uh, that's, uh, I digress, I apologize. Uh, but back then, they called it Kentucky Fried Chicken. And then about 25 years ago, Somebody came out and people, all these experts were saying, oh, no, fried, fried, that's bad. You're not supposed to eat fried food. That's bad for you. That's bad for you. So all the Kentucky Fried Chicken people got together, and they gradually, over the course of, of 16 months, they changed the name from Kentucky Fried Chicken over to KFC. Same grease. Eh? <laughs> they, just, they just adapted the name to, in order to better reach the culture. And that's what takes place within the life of a church. Then we have to find ever-changing ways to share the old, old story in new, new ways. Methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, but principles never do. And I remember when I I became the senior pastor, uh, I think that there were some of the older people in church that thought I was gonna make really big, sweeping changes and, and that in a year or two, no one would recognize Southeast Christian. And it really kind of bothered me because they had known me for years they'd known me for 17 years and they they kind of knew who I was and, and what I was about but there's something in human nature sometimes a change in uncertainty can play strange games with people's minds just think about how the pandemic played games with our minds in a variety of different ways Now, I understood their concern. I'd never been a senior pastor. I was a lot younger than many of them were, and that added to their skepticism. But over the course of time, they finally began to realize that that radical surgery to the church was not part of my agenda. And looking back, my failure was not taking the time to over-communicate with the senior adults in our church and just make certain that they had a piece about them. And their their failure was to trust me and to trust my heart and my motives. And that whole situation, you know what it did? It cost our church some momentum. And I don't want to see that happen at at First Christian. Let's review the, the steps to charting your path for the future. Charting a path requires trusting, it requires planning. And thirdly, charting a path will require trusting God's plan, not the elder's plan not Wayne's plan, not Brian's plan, just what God's plan is. And so the leadership has come up with what their plan and their, their timetable looks like. But, you know, sometimes those things change. God will bring something about, just like he did COVID. In January of 2020, everybody in the church world thought, oh, yeah, we're going to do church like we've always done. It's going to be a great year. And then all of a sudden, March hit. And everything changed, and now everybody has to do church in a different way than they ever had before in their entire life, and they have to pivot. And so they put their plan out there and said, okay, Lord, here's, here's the plan, and, and you make any adjustments that you need to make. I want you to know something. Uh, Brian will, will make some mistakes. I'm, I, I, I know that's a shock to you, but I just want you to know, Brian, Brian will make some mistakes but Brian's not going to make drastic changes or do major surgery on this church. And you'll still recognize it next year and the year after as you continue on this mission to develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ by growing and serving together. Years ago, I had a, a good friend of mine. I went to uh, the rehearsal dinner of his, his daughters uh, the night before the wedding. His daughter was getting married, and uh, he... The father, it was a friend of mine, proposed a toast to his future son-in-law. And this is what he said. He said, Tim, he said, I've been praying for you for 23 years. I just didn't know your name. And five years ago, you didn't know the name of who was going to lead First Christian into the future. But you do now because you've prayed for this church. You've prayed for her future. You've prayed for God to lead and we all realize that Wayne has Wayne and Leslie have more years of effective service. Yeah, these these guys are dynamo's for Christ, and it's just it, it's, it's so fun to see how how they have a kingdom view, and they wanna they're more wrapped up in building up God's kingdom than they are building their own kingdom, and that's refreshing to see. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a German pastor who was executed during World War II for his opposition to Adolf Hitler, and before he died, Dietrich Bonhoeffer made this powerful statement, the righteous man lives for the next generation, and Wayne is a righteous man, and he is passing the baton on to another righteous man because They want first Christian to be a faithful, thriving church 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now. But the key to that is we have to keep reaching out to reach that next generation. And we need to reach our young people with the gospel of Christ now more than ever. Back in the 1960s, there was an overzealous preacher. He used to hang out on city buses, and every time a person would would come on the bus, he'd grab his family Bible, and he would just kind of preach the gospel to the person whether they wanted to hear it or not. He was going to lead them to the Lord before they got off at their stop. And uh, the guy was there all day without a whole lot of success, rather uh, annoying people, I should say. And late in the afternoon, a guy who had had way too much to drink stumbled onto the bus, and as he got on the bus, the preacher sprang into action. He took his Bible, he said, did you know you're headed for hell? And the inebriated man said, oh no, I got on the wrong bus again. (laughs) Well, the world doesn't need to be told it's going to hell. The world needs to be shown how to get to heaven. And that's where you come in. Maybe you heard the story of the young couple that was out shopping with uh, their five-year-old son. And through the course of time, they became more interested in the clothes than they did keeping an eye on their son. And, and the husband thought the wife was watching him, and the wife thought the husband was watching him. And after a few minutes, they realized that no one was watching him, and, and he wasn't anywhere to be found. So they started getting different employees and people who worked there involved. And so they kind of fanned out and spread out over this large area. And they all began looking for this little boy. Nothing. At about the 15-minute mark, it began to sink in in the mom's heart that, you know, maybe he's been abducted. I, I, I might never see my, my son again. And at that instant, over the loudspeaker, a voice said, would Mr. and Mrs. Bernard Johnson please report to the manager's office on the second floor? And they went bounding up the escalator steps, and they found the manager's office, and they threw open the door. And they're seated back behind the manager's desk, with his feet propped up, sipping on a cold Coke, with a smile on his face, having the time of his life was their five-year-old son. But when the little boy saw the frantic and worried expression on his parents' faces, his smile immediately gave way and he burst into tears. Do you realize why? He had no idea he was lost until he was found. And each and every day, you, you rub shoulders with people who are in precisely the, the same spiritual condition. And they do not have a clue that they are lost and that they're heading into a Christless eternity unless you come alongside them and you plant a seed on behalf of Christ and you introduce them to Jesus. John three sixteen, you all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And if you want to chart a path for the future, then plan on sharing that good news with as many people as you possibly can. And trust that God will, will soften hearts and that people will be drawn to Jesus Christ and that they will be drawn to this church. John three sixteen is the gospel in, in a sentence. Gospel means good news. It's the good news that Wayne has, has shared from this pulpit for the past 28 years. It's the same good news that Brian will share in this pulpit for years to come. And I hope that you will share that same gospel message. I hope you'll share that gospel message whenever you can within your sphere of influence, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your relatives, with your friends, and that you'll be a light and a beacon for Jesus and that your life will proclaim that truth. Think of it like this. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your, your hand has been upon this church for so many years, and we don't take that for granted, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for just the, the way that you have blessed First Christian. And now we ask for a a blessing upon this church going into the future as it continues to be a church that prevails, that, that heaven will stand for and that hell can't stand. And so, Lord, we pray that in these years to come, in these months to come, that you'll bless this transition, that it will bring glory and honor to you and bless this church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said,